We began a series uh, some weeks back on, um, that we've entitled The Prayers of the Church. And uh, we're using as a text scripture Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Other translations say uh, different things about this uh, first part of the verse. One translation says praying with all kinds of prayer. Another talks about different manner of prayer. But you can see that just from the, uh, the implication of the, the King James translation. Because if, if there weren't different kinds of prayer, if there weren't different ways to pray, then Paul would have just simply said by the Holy Ghost, praying and making supplication in the Spirit. But the fact that he said praying with all prayer indicates that there are different kinds or types or ways to pray. Now, there are, depending on how you count, there are seven or eight different kinds of prayer identified in the New Testament that are available for and and, uh, available to the church. I don't believe that any of them are superfluous. I don't believe any of them are unnecessary. If there is a kind of prayer that's uh, shown as an example in the Scripture or given us uh, information about, then it must be necessary for the church. So we've uh, started going through some of these. We started off uh, with the prayer of commitment or um, the prayer of casting your cares over on the Lord. The reason we started with that one is because if you don't do something about worry, your prayer life's not going to be effective no matter what you pray. So we started with that one, the prayers of, uh, con- the prayers of commitment or casting your cares over on the Lord. Then we talked about the prayers of dedication or consecration to the Lord. There's other titles that you, or names you could give it. It's one uh, name you could give that kind of prayer is the prayer of surrender. It's the type of prayer that much of the church world is familiar with. It's what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, uh, went with his disciples and, and prayed three times, the Bible says, something to this effect. He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. Now, much of the church world has, uh, has taken that phrase, not my will, but thy will be done, and, uh, and have attached it to everything in their prayer life. But folks, there are a lot of things about the prayer of consecration and dedication that Jesus prayed that is not typical with the rest of his prayer life. In other words, some, the, many in the church will say, well, Jesus, just like Jesus did, he prayed every prayer, Lord, if it be your will or thy will be done, something to that effect. But that's the only time you can find in the Gospels where Jesus ever prayed that. It says that he prayed that three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe fully that he submitted himself to the will of God every day of his life, just as we should. But we only have one example where Jesus prayed that kind of prayer. Now, to take that one principle or that one part of, uh, of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and to attach it to every other kind of prayer without taking every other principle or example that he used in that, uh, that scripture would be inconsistent. For example, the Bible says Jesus prayed for an hour. One of those three times he prayed for an hour. Now, you know as well as I do that it take, doesn't take nearly an hour to pray, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So he must have been praying something other than that. But that's the Holy Ghost interpretation of the gist or the theme of his prayer. So if, the, if we're going to use everything that Jesus prayed in that prayer as an example of prayer, then that would mean prayer wouldn't be effective unless you prayed for an hour or prayed three times, maybe an hour each time. We don't know exactly what happened on the other times. We do know one of them was an hour because Jesus said to his disciples after he came back and found them asleep, he said, could you not pray with me one hour? Well, that says he's been praying for an hour or about an hour, doesn't it? So would that mean the prayer is not effective unless you pray an hour? Well, nobody says that. Another, uh, another aspect of that is it says Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, fell on his face and prayed these things. Well, does that mean prayer is not effective unless you're on your face? Of course not. Nobody's saying that. 
Another thing that it says is that Jesus was in such agony that he sweat great drops of blood during that time of prayer. What does that mean? Prayer is not effective unless you're sweating blood? If that's the truth, if that's the case, we might as well all give up. See, nobody takes the other aspects of that example or that experience and says that we should attach that or make that a part of every prayer that we pray. But they do take that phrase, not my will, but thy will be done, and try to attach that. And the, and the reason that the devil's behind it, uh, well-meaning people may have said it, but the reason that we know that the devil's behind it is because that will destroy many kinds of prayer. That phrase, Lord, if it be your will, will destroy certain kinds of prayer. Now, I want to talk to you about one kind of prayer that, uh, that the Bible uh, at least the Gospels, well, not just the Gospels, but the, the letters to the church as well, the New Testament letters to the church, talk more about than any other kind, and that is the prayer of faith. Now, let me get, uh, go on record first off. Uh, while, I'm, uh, while, I'm talking about, while I'm making some comments, why don't you turn to a couple of openings of Scripture. Turn with me to James chapter 1 and then Mark chapter 11. We'll look at some others around there too, but that will give you a good starting point. Let me say this. Just as the Bible says in Ephesians 6.18 that there are different kinds of prayer, there has been much made of the, the prayer of faith by certain of us that have found the importance and the, and the, uh, uh, the critical nature of the prayer of faith. But many have attached that to every kind of prayer. In other words, they've said that the prayer of faith is really the only kind of prayer you need to pray. And that's not true any more than saying, Lord, if it be your will, should be a part of every other prayer. The prayer of faith won't work in certain situations. That's why there needs to be different kinds or different types of prayer. But many have attached the prayer of faith to every situation, which is just as invalid, which will invalidate your prayers and your prayer life just as much as wrong thinking in the other direction or the, on the other side of the, uh, the ditch on the other side of the road is what I'm trying to say. So we need to be careful and, and put things in its proper place and proper perspective. Now in James chapter 1, notice that James is writing to the church James is a pastor writing to the church and he says, beginning in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, asking of God is prayer, isn't it? Communication with God is the simplest definition of prayer. So when he's talking about asking God for something, he's got to be talking about prayer. So we know that that's his subject. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So he's saying prayer can expect an answer. But now he no, notice he qualifies it. He said, but let him ask in faith. Well, asking is still prayer. So he's now talking about the prayer of faith. He's identifying that the results that you get in verse 5 are as a, a, a come because of this thing called the prayer of faith. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive that man that wavers. In other words, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now he starts off in verse 5 talking about how to get wisdom. And he says the way to get wisdom is to pray the prayer of faith. But then he goes further and tells us in verses 6 and 7 that the prayer of faith is the, is the prayer or the manner in which, the manner of prayer in which you can expect to receive anything from the Lord. He goes from the specific of asking for wisdom to the general principle of the prayer of faith as being the means or the method or the manner of prayer whereby you receive anything from the Lord. So if we're going to let the Bible identify and define itself, then we would have to say that the prayer of faith, one definition of the prayer of faith is the prayer that receives things from God. One thing that you can expect to receive from God through the prayer of faith is wisdom. He identifies that. Look at chapter 5. 
Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this sounds real fine. It sounds real religious. It sounds real, real uh, specific about what to do. But notice he identifies certain things. He said the sick should call for the elders of the church. So you get the elders involved. They anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So you got the anointing involved. Now, is it the elders that do the job or is it the anointing oil that does the job? Verse 15 says neither one. It says in the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, let me ask you a question. Are the elders the only ones that can pray the prayer of faith? If so, James wasted his time in chapter 1 telling the individual to whom the letter was written, the layman, the average guy in the church, everybody in the body of Christ, in other words, that they can expect to receive anything from the Lord by meeting the qualifications of this thing called the prayer of faith. So he says, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. So another thing that the prayer of faith will receive, another thing, 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 that the prayer of faith will receive is healing. So we see the principle of the prayer of faith as identified in the book of James is the prayer that receives things from God. I keep using the word things because that's the way the Bible says it. The prayer that receives things from God. It goes even further to say the the prayer that receives anything from God. Well, anything would mean everything, wouldn't it? We would go, I don't believe we're doing a disservice to say the prayer of faith is the prayer that receives everything from God. Now, the reason we can say that is not only for the, from the language that's used here in James as he writes to the church by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but we also know that there is no place in the New Testament, none, no place in the New Testament where we have any record of anybody receiving anything from God apart from faith. You can't find it. You can't find it. It's the prayer whereby someone receives something from God. Now, there are things that God initiates, but it's not as a result of any kind of prayer. There are healings in Jesus' ministry that he initiated or that the Holy Ghost through him initiated, but it's not as a result of anybody seeking God for something. The prayer of faith is the only way, the only means, the only method that we have evidence of or record of in Scripture where anybody ever receives anything. So not only can you receive anything, it's the way to receive everything from God. We see back in chapter 1 that the prayer of faith is the prayer that doesn't waver. He goes on, I don't think we referred to verse 8, but he goes on to say a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So the prayer of faith is the prayer of single-mindedness. It's the prayer of not wavering. We'll explain more about that as we go. Now, folks, as I said, the New Testament talks more about the prayer of faith than it does anything else. And so it's easy to think that the prayer of faith is the only way or the only important way that there is to pray. And that's not true. But it is so important because it's the only way we can receive anything from God. It's important for us because once we get to the place where we realize we can't do it our own and we need God's help, it's the means and method whereby we can receive what we need from him. I I, I don't guess there's anybody trying to pray the prayer of faith that thinks they can do it on their own. But once we get to the place where we realize we're in over our head and we need God's help, the prayer of faith is the only way that we can expect to have his help according to Scripture. Right? Right? And not only that, but it's important from God's standpoint. We certainly see that it's important from our perspective once we see we're in trouble and need God's help. But from God's perspective, it's important too because God gets joy. He receives joy by giving us good things. Well, if giving us good things is all that's necessary, why didn't he just give them to us? Because he set out the means and the method for receiving everything from him 
to be this thing called the prayer of faith. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 is the story where Jesus is, uh, comes to the fig tree. It's time for the fig tr- to be uh, present on the tree, but they're not. The tree is uh, deceiving in one sense because the leaves are there. Once the leaves are there, the, tr- the figs are supposed to be there too, but he finds only the leaves and not the figs. And so he curses it and says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. The next morning they come by and the tree's dried up from the roots. Peter calls it to remembrance. Said, Master, the fig tree that thou cursest is withered away. In verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. So we see he's talking about faith, don't we? Peter's looking for an answer to hide the fig tree die. How, was, how were the circumstances changed overnight? And Jesus answers faith. Have faith in God. Now he's going to tell us something about faith. He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice there is not one word about pray or asking in verse 23. In other words, he's saying, and, and, and this is a good example of what he's just done because Jesus didn't pray about the tree. Jesus just spoke to the tree. So he says, faith works. Very simply, by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth, in prayer or outside of prayer. First, he identifies that it works just because it's a principle that operates here in the earth. But now notice verse 24. Verse 24 is the great text on the prayer of faith. Therefore, I say unto you. In other words, he's saying because this is the way faith works. I say unto you. Because this is the way faith works. Because faith works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. We can't pray without saying with your mouth. Even if you pray inside, it's the same thing as saying from your spirit. Therefore, I say unto you, because this is the way faith works. Because faith works by belief in the heart and the spoken word. Therefore, these things are also true. This principle is also true. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Notice the word things is there again. Just as James said that faith was necessary to receive anything from the Lord. Now, Jesus is saying... That what things soever you desire, the prayer of faith will work toward. What things soever you desire when you pray. So he's talking about prayer now. Hadn't changed the subject. Still talking about faith. But he's talking about faith working in prayer, which is the prayer of faith. When you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning the things that you desire. And you shall have them, the things that you desire. So we can say that the prayer of faith is the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. Well, that sheds some light on what wavering would be over in James chapter 1. If the prayer of faith prays or believes that it receives when it prays, and James says, asking in faith nothing wavering is necessary, then the wavering must have something to do with believing that you receive. Single-mindedness must be to be locked in, so to speak, that you believe that you receive. To be of one mind and one purpose one voice and one heart where believing what that you receive is concerned. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, let me ask you a question. If you know that faith is the means and the method whereby you receive anything and everything from God, if the prayer of faith is the only way to receive anything from God, now, let me, uh, let me qualify that before I go any further, before I lose my thought. The reason that he speaks of the prayer of faith as being the means and method or the prayer that receives anything and everything from God 
Verse 23 doesn't talk about receiving anything from God. It talks about you having what you say. See, faith works in the earth because man has been given authority. And faith is the exercise of man's authority. That's why Jesus didn't have to pray about the tree. He could just speak to the tree. So he says in verse 23 that faith works by believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. But there are times where faith is necessary in prayer because you're asking to receive something from God. Jesus did not ask God to do something about the tree. He spoke to the tree and commanded it. Commanded it to wither and die. And it did. There are times and there are situations where your voice and the exercise of your authority is all that's necessary for things to change. We could call the prayer of faith the prayer that changes things. Because that's what happened in this case, isn't it? The circumstance, the thing concerning the fig tree changed. Jesus explains how. It's believing in your heart and saying with your mouth that changes things. That's faith that changes things. Well, the prayer of faith would then therefore have to be the prayer that changes things. And that's what he explains. Verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, let me ask you this question. Let me get back to my original thought. Here's the question for you. If you believe that you receive when you pray, like verse 24 says, now look at it carefully. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. That part we understand pretty easily. It's easy for us to figure out what we want from God, right? What things soever you desire. Now he's going to talk about the principle and the method of prayer. When you pray, when you pray, when has to do with time. He's saying something must be done at the time that you pray. Well, what must be done for this prayer of faith to be effective at the time that you pray? You must believe that you receive the things that you desire. Now, let me ask you this question. I keep trying to get to my original thought and get get sidetracked. But if you believe that you receive the things that you desire from the Lord, how many times are you going to pray those, pray about those things? See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times because he's not looking to receive anything from the Lord. He's praying very specifically, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Did you know that there are some things that are not possible to be done? Jesus said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it be possible. He's not looking to receive something from the Lord. He's not saying, I believe I receive something. He's saying, Lord, if it be possible. He's saying, if there's any other way for us to accomplish your plan and purpose and your redemption plan for mankind, then let's do that. But if this is the only way, I submit myself to your will. Now, we would think that that might be a foolish thing, but I see Christians doing that all over the place. For example, you've got believers, people that are born again on their way to heaven. They've heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but they're afraid of tongues. And so what do they do? So many times they pray, Lord... I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't want the tongues. Well, guess what? That's impossible. They're praying for the impossible. And of course, God can't answer that prayer because it's impossible. That's like asking asking God to save you without letting Jesus come into your heart. Doesn't work that way. But you got Christians that are praying and even claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they don't speak with other tongues. That's impossible. Now, what's the only answer for that impossibility? For the individual to submit his will to God's as identified in Scripture that says everybody in the book of Acts that was filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak with other tongues. 
See, the only way out of that impossible situation is to submit yourself to the will of God, which is revealed in his word. Fortunately, some people do that. They come to the understanding and do that. But many others do not. And as a, re- as a result, many others in the body of Christ are claiming to have something, meaning the baptism of the Holy Ghost, without the evidence of speaking in other tongues, which is impossible. And it's the same thing as them saying, Lord, if it's possible, fill me with the Spirit without the tongues. Well, that's not possible. And the only fix, as I said, is for them to submit their will to the will of the Father, which is clearly identified regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the, it's not such a far-fetched situation as we might, ex- might expect or might think. I see a lot of people in the body of Christ that are doing just exactly that. A lot of people in the body of Christ are asking God's blessing upon them as they go their own way. That's impossible. God's blessing is on his plan, not yours. And unless we submit our will and our plans and our purpose for our lives to his will, we can't expect his blessing upon it. So many times we try to make our own plans and say, Lord, bless that, when the reality is the blessing is in his plan. We need to find his plan, and it's already blessed. Can you see that? Back to my thought. If you believe that you receive at the time that you pray, when you pray, how many times do you need to pray about that? Only once. Only once. Smith Wigglesworth said if you pray about anything, to receive anything seven times, you pray six times in unbelief. Now, some people get offended to that, but the reality is if you believe that you received at the time that you pray, meaning the things that you desire, there's nothing to pray about again. So if you do pray again, you're saying through your actions, whether it's your intent or not, through your actions, you're saying, I don't believe that I received it when I first prayed. Therefore, the prayer of faith, in other words, as James said, being single-minded in faith, being unwavering in faith, means to hold fast to believing that you receive when you pray. Therefore, we can conclude that the prayer of faith is a prayer that you pray to receive something from God one time and one time only. Are you out there? That's where people make a mistake. Do you realize that more people have lost things from God through their prayers than for any other reason? See, you can put yourself in the hands of God through prayer and you can take yourself out of God's hands by praying again. You can get God to work on your situation by praying effectively and get him to stop working or take your situation out of his hands by praying ineffectively. I remember Brother Hagin telling the story about a church that he was in. As, uh, uh, as they were about to pray for the offering, the pastor uh, was uh, you know, concluding the preliminaries before they turned it over to him. And a lady came in late and she stood up and said, Pastor, before you pray, I think we need to pray for Sister Gray. I live right next door to her and that's why I'm late getting to the service. The doctor says he doesn't expect her to live through the night. The pastor said, yeah, I was there this afternoon and visited her myself. Let's just pray for Sister Gray. Pray for her healing. And then we'll pray for the offering too. So he prayed a prayer for her healing. Thank you, Father, for healing her in Jesus' name. Amen. Then he said, everybody that agrees with that, say amen. And, and Brother Hagin said he had his eyes open. 90% of the crowd said amen. Next night, service time rolls around. Same situation. Pastor's about to pray for the offering. Turn it over to him, Brother Hagin. This lady comes in, says, Brother, Pastor, I believe we ought to pray for Sister Gray again. The doctor came by this morning and was shocked to see that she was still alive. He examined her and said, why, she's turned the corner. She's going to make it. 
get her up. Have her sit up a couple of times during the day. And she said, I just came from there. And she had been sitting up for two hours today at one time. But then she said, but she's still very weak. So I believe that we should pray that God would complete the healing. And the pastor said, yes, I was there this afternoon too. Let's pray that God would strengthen her and complete the healing. Well, let me ask you a question. Did they pray for an incomplete healing the day before? Did they pray that God would only do half the job? Of course she's weak. She's been sick for months. Even the doctor admits that she's turned the corner. She's going to come out of it. But her body still is going to have the effects of the sickness and the illness and, and the, the downtime, the inactivity and so forth. Of course she's going to be weak. Brother Hagin said, as he was telling the story many years later, he said, I wish I'd had the boldness to step up and stop everything. But he said, I didn't. He said, I miss God by not doing it. He said, but they prayed. Pastor led him in a prayer. Lord, we pray that you'll touch her and complete the healing. Brother Hagin said there was a voice that spoke from behind him. He turned around to see who was there and there's nobody there. It was the Lord speaking to him. He said, now they've taken her out of my hands. She'll be dead in three days. And she was. Now, let me ask you a question. Did anybody in the church, pastor included, the sister that lived next door, or anybody else that joined into the prayer, did anybody intend to take her out of the hands of God for her to die? Well, then what did it? Their ignorance. Their ignorance. See, folks, ignorance, is, ignorance of the Bible, ignorance of spiritual things is not an excuse. That's why it's so important for us to learn the truth and abide by it. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Well, they desired for her to be well. They were praying in line with her will as well. She was included in it. And they put her in the hands of God and God started working miraculously. But then they prayed again and took her out of the hands of God and she died. Can you see that? Now, unfortunately, the, the body of Christ has so many different definitions or ideas about what faith is. Once again, let's let the Bible define what it is. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I think it might be good for us because this is such an important prayer for us to spend a couple of weeks talking about this anyway. I don't intend to try to get everything done or said tonight. And really, if you want more uh, information about the prayer of faith, uh, you might do well to, uh, to get the series that we taught on steps to answer prayer. Because we go into greater detail and, and break it down a little bit more than, than what we'll do in this, uh, uh, this series. But in Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 11, excuse me, verse 1, it gives us the Bible definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The first thing I want you to see is the first three words. Now faith is. Faith is always present tense. Faith is always present tense. And here's why that's important. Because hope can easily be mistaken for faith. Many people are trying to operate in what they think is faith, but it's really hope. And the only difference you can tell between faith and hope is the tense or the when of the expectation. When I say the tense, I mean the timing. Hope is always future tense. Hope is always looking for God to do something. Faith says something is done now. And that's the only difference there is between faith and hope. So if you can't identify present tense versus future tense, then you'll never be able to have confidence that you're in faith. So it says, first and foremost, and, and the Holy Spirit used specific wording here. He said, now faith is. Faith is always present tense. Well, what is faith? What is faith? What do we expect faith to be in the now? 
Notice what he said. He said, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to read this to you from a couple of other translations. The, uh, the Jewish Bible says this. Complete Jewish Bible says this. Trusting or faith is being confident of what we hope for and convinced about things we do not see. So what do we see first and foremost about faith? Faith deals with things hoped for and things unseen. Again, we talked about hope just a minute ago and talked about hope being future tense. You don't hope for something that you have. You hope for something that you don't have. Once you have it, hope is gone. Right? Well, faith is the substance or the confidence of things that we hope for. In other words, faith brings the future of hope into the present tense, into the here and now. Another translation says of this verse, Hebrews 11, 1. In Weiss translation, it says, Now faith, I love this one. Now faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the proof of things which are not being seen. Faith is the title deed. Moffat's translation says, Faith means we are confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we don't see. Now let's try to put it into a natural example where people could, uh, could make sense of it. Let's say you've got uh, some kind of family member back in another part of the country, back east somewhere. And they write you a letter and say, you know, I've been thinking about you and I want you to have a new car. So I have determined and made arrangements for you to have a brand new Mercedes at such and such a dealership here in the New, new England area. And to prove to you that it's already done, here's the title deed. Enclosed, find the title deed to that car. All you'll need to do is present that deed to the dealer and the car is yours. Have you seen the car? Would you accept as truth that the car is indeed yours with the title deed made out to your name? Well, sure. You'd get your eyes set on it. It might even say you can pick out your color. So you might be making plans about what you'd have on it, what to make sure that it's got, certain wheels on it or, or color or options or whatever the case might be. And somebody might say, well, you haven't seen it. How in the world could you expect to have a, a, a new Mercedes? And all you got to do is bring out that title deed. So this title deed proves that it's mine whether I've seen it or not. That's what faith is. Faith is the proof, the title deed, that something belongs to you that you can't yet see. Now, faith is the title deed, the title deed of what we hope for. The proof of things unseen. Now we remember that the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So we know where that title deed comes from. That title deed is the scripture inspired by the Holy Ghost. If you could find a scripture that promises you what you hope for. It's the same as having the title deed to a car that you haven't seen. Paid for. In your name. Ready for you to pick up. Now it may take you some time to get to it. You may have to take off work to make arrangements to get up there. Or you may have to, may plan to have it shipped out. There's any number of ways you could get to the car or the car get to you, right? And most of them are going to assure that you can't get it instantly. But I want you to realize something, folks. The car was yours before you ever found out about it. But once you found out about it, then you can start taking steps to take possession of what belongs to you. That's what the scripture is all about. It's to inform you of what's yours 
and to equip you to take possession of what the Bible says is yours. Take possession of what belongs to you. That's what that means in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance, the title deed of what we hope for. Now, we know that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So if you have hope for healing, then faith that says that healing belongs to you. For example, 1 Peter 2.24, by Jesus' stripes we were healed, is proof. It's the title deed that it's yours. But now what you do with it is up to you. Someone could take that letter and take that title and say, oh, well, I don't believe anybody would do that for me. I'm not worth that. I'm not, not worthy of a new car. That kind of car is way too good for me. And they might say, but this title deed is sure a nice memento. They could frame it. They could show it to their friends. They could do all kinds of things that they wanted to with it. But unless they present it to the dealer, then what really belongs to them is never going to be in their possession. That's what a lot of people do with the word of God. Some people might take that title deed and look at it every day and say, oh, if only it were true. Some people, real religious people, might even say, now, Lord, if it's your will for this car to be mine, then you make it appear. That's not part of the deal. The deal was your loved one, your heavenly father, through Jesus' son, purchased it for you. Now you go get it. Yeah, but it's not convenient for me to take off work and go get it. Then you must not want it bad enough. Yeah, but, but it'll be a lot of trouble. What about the taxes? Folks, there's all kinds of excuses you can make. The fact is it belongs to you. And if you really want it, it's up to you to go get it. That's what the word of God does for you. It identifies what is yours and equips you to take possession. But there's going to have to be an effort on your part. Part of that effort, according to Mark eleven twenty four, is to believe that you receive it when you pray. Not let the devil talk you out of the fact that the title deed says it's yours. Now, you might arrange for it to be shipped out. And then somehow or another, it gets delayed. And you may be thinking, well, this was only supposed to take a week to get here. And now it's been two months. Does it change the fact that it's yours? Not at all. So what are you going to do? You're going to take that delay and say, well, I thought it was mine. But since it hadn't gotten here, I guess it's really not. No, you're going to do whatever you can do to find out what's the delay. What can I do to increase, to, to accelerate the delivery? Make sure I do my part. Make sure I do everything that's necessary. And then once I've done everything I can do, I wait expectantly for my new car. Because the title deed is my proof that it really does belong to me. It's already been paid for. Now, I know that's a, a, a poor illustration and it doesn't hold, uh, it doesn't hold to, to the, the comparison to faith in every aspect. But I think you can see the point. That's what Hebrews 11.1 1 is saying. Faith is the title deed of the things that we hope for. It's the proof, the evidence, the proof. Faith is your proof. Faith which is based on the word of God. We could even go so far as to say this. The word of God is your proof of things unseen. Because that's what your faith is based on. That's the foundation of your faith. So your faith which is based on the word of God. Is the proof of what you don't see. Yeah but the devil, that's where the devil tries to beat you up. Well if you're healed. How come you don't feel healed? How come your body doesn't show up healed? Tries to talk you out of. 
the proof of the word of God that it's yours. Uh, there was a, a battle that I was uh, facing, fighting in the middle of and, and so forth, standing in faith about something. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I woke up saying these words. I don't know if I was saying them out loud. I don't know if I was just saying it within myself. I don't know what it was, but I was saying these words. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, that means something to me because I knew the scriptures I was standing on. I had scriptural evidence, proof of what I couldn't yet see, what the devil was trying to talk me out of and beat me up about. But forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Heaven refers to eternity, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it. If, if, if faith just works in heaven, what good does that do us here? I mean, we know that's not the case because Jesus used faith effectively and he told us how to use faith too. So we know that faith works here. So why is it necessary that faith is established or forever settled in heaven? It's talking about eternity. Heaven is just a, a, an example of eternity. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in eternity. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word of God doesn't change when you get to heaven. Some aspects of the word of God you won't need. Because there's no sickness in heaven, so there's nothing to be healed of. But it doesn't change the eternal nature of what Jesus purchased. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus purchased redemption from spiritual death, sickness, and poverty for all eternity. Can you see that? Now, what's our evidence? What's our proof? Well, for me, it's the word of God. Now, the word of God doesn't do you any good unless you exercise faith in it. Or in other words, believe in your heart. Believe in your heart means to believe independent of the circumstances. Believe independent of what you see and feel. But once you determine that I'm going to exercise that faith, I'm going to accept the word of God as truth. No matter what I feel, no matter what I see, no matter whatever else happens around me. Then forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven means a lot. Because it means it's the eternal evidence. It's the eternal proof. You got something that's better than a title deed. Because men can change contracts. You might get a dealer that's, uh, that's unscrupulous, that tries to wiggle out of it, tries to keep the money and not deliver the car. There's all kinds of things that might happen in the legal realm. Or at least people try to make things happen. Not so with heaven. Not so with what Jesus purchased. Now faith is the title deed of what we hope for the proof of things which are not being seen. I like the way that it says that are not being seen because just because they're not seen now doesn't mean they won't be seen. Another way to say that would be not yet seen. How many of you have had the devil say, well, you don't see it yet. You're making a claim or a confession of faith and the devil says, well, you don't see it yet. Must not be working. Well, you're right. I don't see it yet. But I will see it. How do we know? Well, Jesus said one of the principles of the prayer of faith is, Therefore I say unto you, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, the time that you pray, believe that you receive those things, and you shall have those things. I wonder if God's ever failed on a you shall have. Is it possible for God to fail on a you shall have? He'd have to break his word if he did. He'd have to break his word for a you shall have not to come to pass. Don't you agree? 
If Jesus said you shall have them if you meet the criteria, what's the criteria of the prayer of faith? When you pray, at the time that you pray, believe that you receive the things that you desire. Then Jesus said, you shall have them. Now, now, that's God's part. A lot of times we try to make the having part our own, but that's not our part. Our part is to believe that we receive when we pray. God's part is you shall have them. It's impossible for you not to have the things that you desire if you meet the criteria of believing that you receive when you pray. So again, the prayer of faith is the prayer of believing that you receive when you pray. Let me give you one final example. Again, this was a situation that happened in Brother Hagin's ministry, and it was a very unusual thing that, uh, that the Lord directed him to do. There was a, a meeting that he was holding in a certain church, and uh, it was a, uh, an outstanding meeting, Brother Hagin said. There was a, a fellow that was uh, uh, 72 years old. He had uh, uh, hearing problems. He had hearing aids, and he was all but crippled. He could hobble around a little bit if somebody was helping him and so forth, but he was really crippled up and, and took him forever to sit, to, to stand up from a seated position and that type of thing. Well, the Lord ministered to him, healed his ears, healed his whatever the condition was that kept him from being able to walk very well. He was walking around for the next couple of weeks that the meeting was going on. He was walking around, laughing with everybody, talking in a, in a uh, you know, normal voice, no hearing aids, nothing like that, walking clearly in front of everybody. Everybody saw all around. Everybody saw that this guy that was 72 years old was healed in his ears and his legs or whatever the case was, whatever it was, the difficulty keeping him from walking. Brother Hagin said he saw him 10 years later at 82, and he's just as well, no problems. Everything was just as fine as it had been when the night he was healed. But there was another pastor in the area. There was a, uh, it was a citywide meeting, I guess. Many different churches in the area, or several different churches in the area that were co- cooperating. And that there was this one pastor that was in his 50s, young, young, young man, 50, 51, I think he said, and, uh, and he had a, a condition that uh, wound up costing him his ministry. He wound up within a matter of several years uh, quitting the ministry and resigning the church because he just couldn't, you know, do the things that he needed to. And he, he tried to be honorable about it and, and felt that it was best in the best interest of the church for him to retire. And so he did. <clears throat> Died young. And, uh, and so people were asking during that meeting. He and his church were cooperating with the meeting. And he was there every night along with his church people. He, Brother Hagin said they supported the meeting and, and attended. Their congregation attended every service except for Sundays, and, which is right. They went to their own church on Sundays, and, uh, and that's appropriate. But anyway, he said that he was there every night, and during one of the uh, uh, lunch gatherings he had with the, the pastor, the host pastor or whatever, the pastor said, uh, well, Brother Hagin, I, I couldn't be more thrilled about this guy in my church that was healed and the other great things that have happened, but what about brother so-and-so and brother Hagen said I didn't know who brother so-and-so was and then so they had to bring it to my attention uh, he's the pastor from the other church and and he's been cooperating with the church and and so forth he's the guy that's come up in the prayer line every night they've gone several uh several days at least maybe the end of the second week by then I don't know he, anyway he said he's the guy that that looks like such and such and and uh he's come to the prayer line every night and this is the thing that the doctor said was his problem and and so forth he said well, why isn't he healed and brother Hagen said well I don't know. He said, unless the Lord showed me, I, I would have no, any way to know about that. He hadn't told me anything. I don't even know who the guy is. So he said, uh, uh, so he said you know, I'll, I'll pray about it and see if there's anything the Lord tells me. But outside of that, I, I wouldn't have any way to know. And so Brother Hagin said uh, that night in the prayer line, here comes this guy. And he said, because we just talked about him that day at lunch. He said, I kind of picked him out and I, I kind of paid attention. So he said, I laid hands on him. 
And he said, uh, as soon as I laid hands on him, I didn't move away too quickly. I just moved to the next person. So I was there close enough by to see what happened. And he said, the guy checked himself, whatever the problem was, he checked. He says, no, no, still there, not healed. He said, well, this went on for two or three nights. And he said, now, the Lord hadn't said anything to me, but, but now I know. I know what the problem is. He's waiting to find out that his body has changed before he believes anything happens. Now, folks, that's contrary to the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith says when you pray, you believe that you receive. It does not say when your body changes, you believe you receive. It says when you pray, you believe you receive. So he may think that he's operating in faith, but he's violating one of the main principles about the prayer of faith. So Brother Hagin said after about the second or the third night, after I found out once who he was, same thing every time he checks and says, no, no, they didn't get it. Nothing's any different. He said that uh, he, um, he, he knew that there wasn't anything that he could do for him. He said, I just knew it in, in, on, the, on the inside of me. I had a witness. There's not a thing I can do to help him. So I just asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I know that there's nothing I can do to help him. I know that you've already witnessed in my heart that there's nothing I can do to help him. And then the Lord spoke to him, uh, spoke to Brother Hagin inside and said, but you can't help the people. Call him back up here. So he called him back up. And he said, Brother. He said, uh, when are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? He's standing down here in the front, in front of everybody. And he says, well, when I'm healed. And Brother Hagin said, well, what would you want to start believing it then for? Seems like you'd know it then. Well, a couple of people in the audience snickered and caught on. And he realized that, that, that he was missing something. So he said, the pastor said, Say that again. Brother Hagin said, what I said was, when are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? He said, well, when I'm healed. And again, Brother Hagin said, why would you want to believe it then? Seems like you'd know it then. And more in the crowd caught on. So now he's starting to get embarrassed. And he says, say that again. Brother Hagin said it the third time, same answer, same response. Now almost the whole crowd's got it. The Lord is trying to help the crowd in two ways. Not only, number one, showing them how faith works, but number two, answering a question why a full gospel pastor is not receiving his healing. Because you know that would be something the devil would use if brother so-and-so who served God all of his life didn't get his healing, how can you expect to get yours? Which I would imagine is the only reason that God would use something like that in public. I mean, that might be something you want to help somebody with privately if they would hear but this is a situation where Brother Hagin knows in his heart, the Lord has already witnessed to him, you're not going to be able to help him, but you can't help everybody else. So anyway, the fourth time, the guy said, say that again. And Brother Hagin asked the fourth time, when are you going to start believing you receive your healing? Now, folks, let me stop here. The Bible says that you're supposed to believe that you receive when you pray. But they prayed every night for this guy, and every night he said, nope, 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 that's not it. I'm not healed. Now, if believing you receive when you pray guarantees that you shall have the thing that you desire, the thing that you prayed for, the thing that you asked God for, the thing that you're believing for, then violating that principle and not believing that you receive when you pray is a guarantee that you won't have it. Which is where a lot of people are in the church world. Which is where a lot of people have to come to. They've said, well, I prayed the prayer of faith. Lord, I ask you to heal me. Nope, nope, he didn't do it. I guess that faith stuff doesn't work. 
which is one of the main reasons why a lot of people think that, think that faith won't work for everybody. Well, it doesn't work for everybody. It only works for those that follow the rules. Those that operate according to the rules of the prayer of faith. So he asked him the fourth time, when are you going to start believing you receive your healing? And the pastor the fourth time said, well, when I'm healed. And Brother Hagin said, for the fourth time, why would you want to believe, for it, believe it then? Seems like you would know it then. Now, do you see the difference? Believing for something is believing in the unseen. Once you can see it, you don't have to believe anymore. You know. Brother Hagin said, after that night, that meeting broke loose. Because now, whoever was hindered by the pastor's condition now has thrown the brakes off, taken the brakes off, thrown caution to the wind. He said there was a greater display of faith in the remainder of that meeting, whatever it was, a week and a half, two weeks later, left in that meeting. He said there was a greater display of that than almost any he had seen up to that point in time in his ministry. Why? Because people got it. Now, the pastor missed, it out, missed out on it completely. He could have had the same thing that everybody else got. But he didn't because he refused to abide by the rules as outlined in the Scripture that governed the prayer of faith. Can you see it? Therefore, I say unto you, when you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It is. But boy, the devil will fight you every step along the way. You're going to have to remember that. And you're going to have to hold your ground. You're going to have to stay single-minded no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter what circumstances arise. You're going to have to choose and determine to not waver in your believing that you receive regardless of the circumstances or the attacks that come against your mind or your body. But the Bible says if you will do it, and you can, don't think that you can't, you can. The question is, will you? But if you will, you can receive anything that you desire of the Lord. Amen.